Welcome to the Crystal Sparks Podcast. We are so glad you are here. Our one goal of this podcast is to grow your faith and help equip you to accomplish your dreams and your goals. Now here is Crystal Sparks. Well, I have something a little bit different for you guys. Uh, From time to time, I put full-length messages over here. And this is a message that I recently gave um, at my church. My husband and I are the lead pastors at one church. We have two campuses, um, one in Roy City and one in Silver Springs, Texas. And this is a message that I recently gave there. I think it's really going to encourage you. So, hey, with all that said, let's jump in to today's content. Well, hey, we're kicking off a new series called Uncommon. And, man, I'm so excited about this. What this series is about is about relationships. And I believe that God wants our church to have healthy, thriving relationships. And you might be in here and you go, Crystal, I'm single. So this, this whole series isn't for me. No, let me just tell you that I love that Nancy whenever she was in church, she was like, you know what? I'm going to learn everything I can about strong, healthy marriages before I get married. And so that way I pick the right one. And then she picked Jimmy. So, I mean, I attribute that to us. Like we helped her find the right one. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter two and verse six through seven. And then we're going to read nine through 10. It says, in the same way you have received Jesus, our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith progressing further into your union with him. Your spiritual roots grow deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way, for you are established in faith and have been absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. Skipping down, and it says, for he is the complete fullness of deity, living in human form, and our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Come on, that's good all by itself. And let's pray as we continue our time together. Jesus, we just thank you so much that, Father, this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I declare in this house that every ear is open and receptive, every heart will be softened, that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody who believed it said, amen. Amen. I, I want to know, is there any kids here, any adults, we're not kids anymore, any people who are 80s kids in the house? How many of you guys are 80s kids? Yeah, I see you. Where are my 90s kids at? Any 90s kids in here? All right, all right. 70s kids, where are you at? Okay, okay. So I want to say this, that we grew up when childhood was like really childhood. Like we grew up, we, we graduated high school without Google. Can we just give the Lord a praise right there? Come on, somebody. I thought I cheated a lot in high school without Google. If there would have been Google, game over. I would have been like valid Victorian, right? I mean, but seriously. I mean, so 80s kids though, 80s and 90s kids and 70s kids. I just think we grew up when being a kid was really like being a kid. I know you're shocked right now that I'm an 80s kid because I'm 25. And so I don't know how the math works, but it works. Trust me, just roll with it. But I remember back being an 80s kid, like this is back when in school you didn't have computers. And the only game you did get when it was really fancy was the organ. Oregon Trail. Do y'all remember that? Yeah, I love the Oregon Trail. That was so fun. Or how about this? Y'all remember pagers? And you get a page and there'd be a line at the pay phone in the lunchroom. And you're like, dang, I don't have any quarters. So you'd have to go through the snack bar line and get some quarters by a Reese's so you can call the number on your pager. Come on, you kids don't even know about this. 
You don't even know. You think you know. Or how about this? Back when you were a kid in the 80s and in the 90s, it was like only the strong survive. Because if you ran away from your mama in a mall, there was no wait till we get home. She would beat you right there. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about spank. I'm talking about beat. And all the parents would look on and be like, yeah, get them, right? Or how about when you ran away as an 80s kids in the mall, other parents would start chasing after you and grab you and take you back to your parents. Or how about this? Your mama would say, I'm going to leave you. And she meant it. She for real left you there and you're crying in the mall by yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You knew mama wasn't playing when she said, there was none of this counting. One, two, mama's like, if you don't come, I'm leaving. You're like, no, mama, don't leave me again. (laughs) Because you knew she's gone. And I'll just say, 80s kids, we didn't have all this safe playground equipment. There was none of that. Our playground equipment, there was no cushy ground for you to fall on. If you fail, you're on your own. Like, Jesus better be watching out for you. Uh, How about this? We had metal playground equipment. Y'all look at this right here. Y'all remember those slides? Come on, where are my real kids at? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you fall off of that, there ain't no hope for you. It's over. Do y'all remember climbing that thing in 100 degree weather in the summertime? You get third degree burns on the back of your leg and you were happy about it. You were happy about it. You climb back up and do it again. If we had a slide like that now, boy, parents would be freaking out. You survived. Your kids will be fine. Your kids will be just fine. Come on, somebody. But how about 80s kids? We didn't have Snapchat. We didn't have Instagram. The original swipe up or sliding up on your story was notes. Do y'all remember origami? All 80s kids were good at origami because you pass paper notes. Like you fold them like so intricately and it always had the dovetail on there. And when you swipe the dovetail, all of a sudden it all came out. Y'all know what I'm talking about, 80s kids? And we passed notes in the hallway. And so your boo would pass you notes. Let me just school my daughter for a second. So what would used to happen is your boo would post past you a note and y'all remember the three lines on the top, three lines on the bottom and connect them. Y'all remember making the S? Y'all remember that? You're like thinking of words that started with S just because you wanted to make that S. And so you would craft your note in class while the teacher was teaching. And then you would find your boo in the hallway and you'd pass the note. Yeah. That's the old school swipe up right there. That's the old school swipe up. So 80s kids, like, right? So we did all these things. And, and I remember, I remember thinking like, as I was preparing this, I thought, do y'all remember cereal boxes when they had prizes in them? Yeah. And all of a sudden you get a box of Count Chocula and it's like there's six in this, in this series and you're eating cereal all day Saturday because you want mama to go back to the store and get another box of cereal because you want all six prizes. Come on. Did you know that they stopped doing prizes in the box because they thought it was a choking hazard? And I'm like, y'all, at some point survival of the fittest has just got to kick in. Like if you're eating a toy and trying to swallow it, I'm sorry, there's no hope for you. Like... I've lost all hope in humanity. I mean, like, come on, put the prizes back in the cereal. That was so fun. I love those. And so I thought about this. I'm like, how did we survive as 80s kids? And then all of a sudden I remembered this right here. Y'all remember this right here? Y'all look at this. Y'all remember those? You're, you lived on Flintstone vitamins. 
you lived on them. Your mom would be like, did you take your vitamins? You're like, I ate the whole jar. And basically Flintstone vitamins was this. It was a whole lot of sugar and a little bit of vitamin C. That's why we were on that slide and didn't care. We were so hyped up on sugar. We didn't even know. Like we didn't care. We didn't feel the pain in our legs. And how about this? I was telling my daughter the other day, she was like, mom, my friend, they made me a Spotify playlist. I was like, girl, let me tell you about a mixtape. Your love for somebody was measured in this, a 60, 90, or a 120 minute mixtape. And I told her, I said, baby, I said, this is what true love is. When you really loved your friend, you would sit there with your hand on pause, play, and record. You would call in with the other hand to Kiss FM. And you'd have it on redial and boop, boop, boop. And you're like, it's busy. Dang it. And hang up. Redial, right? Y'all remember this? And then they would pick up and you'd say, yeah, I just want to give a shout out for my friend. Play Lionel Richie. (laughs) Play, play Janet Jackson. Come on. And, And then as soon as your voice would come over the radio, you're quick to hit the, the record, right? And so you'd make your playlist of all the songs. Come on, somebody, some Michael Jackson. Where are my people at? Where are my people at? And then you would give your friend your mixtape. I said, baby, we didn't have money to buy the cassette and there was no Wow Jams now or any of that mess, right? Wow Jam 100 or whatever it's called with all the greatest hits. So we made our own mixtape. That was the original Spotify for the 80s kids. I said, that's true love because it took work to make that playlist. And so I thought about all this and I thought, man, you know, it's crazy. Like all the different things we did as kids and like growing up. And, and I thought about this for the relationship series. And I thought about how, man, we bring all of this into relationships. And I read this article by psychologists and they say for a child to be well-rounded, that they need respect, encouragement, attention, affection, and appreciation. Well, that makes sense why we all jacked up. How are you going to give a kid all that, right? And so they say to be a well-rounded kid, like you need all of that. And here's the sad part is that whatever psychologists say, whatever you didn't get out of that list is now what you search for in a spouse. So if you didn't get attention from your parents, you're now looking for a spouse who will give you attention. If you didn't get respect from your parents, you're now looking for a spouse that'll give you respect. So really, truly, they say that most people marry trying to fulfill a childhood need. They're looking for somebody else to fix what was broken from their childhood. And it's deeper than Flintstone vitamins, right? And so we know the statistic. We've heard it so many times that half of all marriages will end in divorce. And, And I think we almost get anesthetized to that statistic that we don't realize the gravity of it. So let me just put it like this. What if I told you that half of all airplanes that take off today are gonna crash? How much would you research about which airline you were going to go on? You would research, you'd be like reading reviews. You would want the pilot's background, how long he's been training, how long he's been getting ready. So I'll just say this, if we would do that on an airplane, then why aren't we doing that with the person we're going to marry? If the stat is really true, then why aren't we looking into making sure we're picking the right one, single people, he's the right one when you know you've really researched him. Come on, somebody. You don't know to what you don't know. So just like go through some time with them first. But then what's interesting is I read even further that then from the people who are married, the half that are still married, there is only 40% that say that they are happily and passionately in love. 
So I'll, I'll just put it like this. this. These four rows right here, these four rows. Will y'all stand up? If statistics were real, this would be the only people who are living happily married. And all the rest of you are living miserable. Does that put things into perspective? Okay, you can be seated. So why is this relationship series so important? Because who you marry has everything to do with where you're going to go later on in life. The happiness that you're going to have till death do us part. Come on, somebody. I want to live a happy till death do us part. And if that stat's really true, that means one-fifth of all people are really going to live happily ever after. And everybody else is just living ever after. And I believe that God wants us to have a church that's full of healthy, thriving, strong, flourishing marriages, right? I believe that's what God's called us to do. So we're going to talk about this. There's five phases that psychologists will say that you go through in relationships. Five phases. The first one is, if you'll put up the thing, is attractional. I put a winky face triangle here. So you see that little winky face guy? That's the attractional phase of relationships. This is the, this is the phase in relationships where they will say, love is blind. In this phase of a relationship, you think they are perfect. It's when you meet them and you think everything's great, they could do no wrong. At this phase, a psychologist will tell you that your brain is releasing so much dopamine and oxytocin, it produces a high in your brain that is equivalent to cocaine. And so what happens is your body gets this instantaneous rush and it wants so badly to keep it going. That's why some people move from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because they're addicted to the high, the emotional high that they get. And so they're looking for somebody to give them the next fix. And they think the next person it'll last. And here's the thing is psychologists will tell you that your brain cannot handle that much of a high for an extended period of time. So you were never made to live in that state. And the second state of relationships, and the first state, it lasts two years. They say that it can last up to two years. So you can live love is blind for up to two years. The second phase of relationships is the emotional part of relationships. The psychologists would say that they describe this as the teenage years of your relationship cycle. So the emotional side is this side will last six to 18 months. And here's three myths that we get out of the emotional phase of relationships. The first, the, the first myth that we get is all you need is chemistry and passion. All, this will tell you like, oh, well, unless you're compatible, like when you're compatible, everything's going to work. Have you heard people say this? Uh, just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Like that's the worst advice you can get. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here's the thing is that if you're somebody looking for somebody else to fulfill emotional need that you didn't receive as a child, you can't follow your heart because you might end up marrying the wrong person. Come on, somebody, because on the forefront, they're fitting an emotional need that you can only get from God. I'm moving ahead in my message, but I'll just say this, that all, all R&B and country songs are written out of the emotional face. Come on. They all have to do with the emotional face. I get so weak in the knees, I can hardly speak. Come on, somebody. It's all out of that emotional face. People will say things like this when they are in this phase. They go, he just makes me feel so good. It feels so right. Don't ever marry somebody 
by your emotions. A lot of times when we sit down and we're talking to somebody, we're like, what, what made you decide to get married? They're like, oh, we're just in love. It just feels right. And what they're saying is I'm still in the emotional state of relationships. That is not the place to do it. Come on, somebody. The second myth of this phase is that relationships and drama go together. So this is what happens is when you're in emotional state, and I'll just say you can be married for 20 years and you're still in emotional state. You have really high highs and really low lows. One minute you're throwing things at each other and the next minute you're making out. There's no in between. Like your relationship is extremely volatile. You'll go from being on the best date night to wanting to gouge his eyes out, right? Because somewhere in your life, you bought into the idea that relationships and drama go together. So unknowingly, you create chaos around you because you don't know how to live when things are peaceful. And because you're so tied in emotionally, you think that if it's not really high or really low, that you guys aren't really connected. So you don't know how to have a functioning, healthy relationship. Am I talking to somebody today? The third myth that comes in this phase is that you just have to find the one. You know, you're just looking for that one that completes you, that person that is your one, like out of a billion people in the world that you're just looking for one person. And and out of this, this is where people usually break up and they will say, I just didn't feel it anymore. Or they get divorced because they're like, it just isn't the same as it used to be. We don't love each other like we used to, so they must not be the one. And, and so you're looking for them to fulfill something again in you to make you whole. And when they're unable to fulfill it, you go and try to find somebody who's next. And that never, ever works. See, until you know the truth about these three myths, you'll continuously live the cycle through this, relationships, uh, this relationship cycle. The third phase is difficulty. This usually lasts about one year. That's why they say the first year of marriage is the hardest is because it's difficulty. This is when the blinders come off and you realize that they ain't perfect. Come on, somebody. You all of a sudden realize, like, I married somebody who is messed up. I love this. I heard somebody talking the other day and they were saying how they got married in their early 20s and they didn't realize that their wife was watching them every time they got in and out of the shower. And so he said, you know, I I came in from work one day and he said, it was just a good day at work. And I came in and I came over to kiss her and she said, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't kissing me until you take a shower. And he goes, what do you mean? And she goes, you have not taken a shower in four days. He goes, I had no idea she was counting how many times I got in and out of the shower. He's like, who knew you had to take a shower every day, right? And so that's why they say that married life, the first year is usually the hardest. The reason why they say that is because they've never been through any kind of difficulty together. I will say this, this is free marriage advice right now to all the single people. Until you have a real fight together, don't get married. Because if you can't have a real fight together and see flaws in each other and and get over it dating, you'll never be able to do it when you're married, right? Because there's no going home to mama's house when you get in a fight, right? You're gonna have to stay there and you're gonna have to work it out. So dating is the best place to work through those conflicts. So there's the difficulty phase. And what happens in this phase is that two levels. Number one, you realize that your spouse isn't perfect. So in this phase, you see their flaws. And then what will happen happen is you either become one of these type of people, you become a justifier. 
So possibly trust was broken. Something happened that made you see that they weren't perfect. So then you start justifying your bad behavior by their action. Or the second thing that happens is you become a cynic. So now everything he does, everything she does, you are predicting the worst. You're critical of everything. I'll just say this. Wives, some of the best things you can do is quit nitpicking everything about your husband and shut your mouth. It really doesn't matter. Who cares if he does it differently? He did it, right? And I think so many wives are nagging their husbands out of loving them. And sometimes you just gotta be cool that he doesn't feed your kids like you feed them. It's okay, who cares? They're fed, it's fine, let it go. Okay, so he folded the towels differently, who cares, right? It really doesn't matter. But this is what happens in this difficulty phase is you begin to be a cynic. Okay, so then the second thing is what will happen here is we realize that we still aren't happy. We realize that they can't fix our problems. So in this phase, we become blamers and exaggerators. We blame them for why we're not happy. We blame them for why our life isn't working out. We blame them why things aren't going the way we thought they would. We take no ownership for ourselves and we become exaggerators. So we start talking like this around our house. You always, you never, come on somebody. And, and in this phase, what you're doing is you're in a difficulty phase of relationships. Again, you can be married for 20 years and you're gonna cycle through this one. And so listen to yourself talk. When you're talking to your spouse, I'll just say this, the enemy will always magnify weakness. He'll always magnify, because I'll say this, that every single one of you, the person you're married to, has 10 good things about them and 10 bad things. And your marriage is as good or as bad on which side you're gonna focus on right? And, and when you focus on the bad, then you start talking about, you always do this. You never help me with the kids. You always, come on somebody. And when you start talking like that, just know you're talking out of a toxic place and it's really not about them. It's about you in that moment. And you need to shut your mouth, check your heart before you proceed with the conversation. Come on somebody. I think that's worth right there. We can go home right there. Now, psychologists will say most people out of these three right here, most people never progress to the next level of relationships. They stay cycling in these three things all the time. And here's the thing is they try to build everything on top of this emotional part. So you see that little winky face? That's the uh, attractional, that's the love is blind. And so people try to build on top of that emotional part and on top of that uh, love is blind part. But how many of you guys know if you stuck something flat on the top of that triangle, would it be able to stick on there? And that's why your marriage is failing. Because the bottom piece we're about to talk about is gonna be the God part. And most people try to put the God part on top of their feelings. So when we feel like going to church, we'll go to church. When we feel like praying together, we'll pray together. When we feel like going to a community group and start opening up about some of our problems that we're having, then we'll do it. And we let our feelings and our emotions be the drivers of how healthy our relationship is. And we wonder why things aren't working out. Hey, if you got a problem with this, this is a psychologist's article. I'm just giving you what they said, right? I mean, I'm just giving you what they said. Okay, so then the next thing that happens is stability. Stability. This phase in relationships lasts two years. And then they say it's really, it will go, sometimes people will jump from stability and go back up into emotional. And this is the phase where now you're not arguing all the time. 
Yeah, you don't want to kill each other, but you long for the days that you guys were first dating, when you were first married. You have a nostalgia for the past. So now you've become two people who are best friends, sleep in the same house, you coexist, but there's zero romance. And unless you purposefully make a decision, you'll never progress to the next level. Psychologists say that most people, that 60% of the stat, right? Because one in five, right? So I'm sorry, 80% um, of the people that are married um, that are just coexisting together. They are in the stability phase. We can live together and every now and then we'll have a volatile fight and every now and then we'll be passionately in love, but it's never just good connection in our marriage. And what's sad is God never created us to live that way. And then maybe you're there right now and I just wanna tell you like, I'm so proud of you that you're here because I believe that God wants you to get to the next phase and let's bring that up. That is when we go into commitment. And the commitment phase of our relationship is now psychologists will say, they move from saying, what can you do for me to what can I do for you? This is the only phase in the relationship cycle that stops thinking about itself first. It's continuously thinking of what does my partner need from me? How can I show them that I love them? It's not saying I need my own way, but it's saying how can I help you get your way? I think God knew something when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is not selfish. It is not proud. It's not puffed up. And this is the phase right here where all of a sudden people begin to say, okay, there's something outside that I have a value to bring and I'm gonna begin to bring that value to others. This is where you get okay with your spouse and you're stopping looking to them to be everything for you. And a lot of you, you're giving your spouse all the responsibility to make you happy, to make you feel fulfilled, to make you uh, feel like you're worthy or whatever. And what's sad is that's way too much of a commitment for anybody to have. I'll tell you this, I love Brian Sparks like there's no tomorrow. I love him so much. There is nobody I love more than him. But he cannot be the source of my joy. And if I'm looking to him to give me all my worth and validation, I'm just being honest with you, my cup will be empty a lot of days. Not because he's imperfect, but because there's no way he can fulfill all those needs in me. Let's go back to our opening scripture in Colossians. It says this in 2, 6 uh, through 7. Let's read that. It says, in the same way you receive Jesus our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith. I wanna tell you that if you wanna to begin to have strong, healthy relationships, your, your spiritual journey has to be a part of your plan for a healthy marriage. He tells, Paul's letting them know here, continue your journey of faith. And for all of us, that looks different, right? For some of us, you being here is you continuing your journey of faith. For others of you, it's getting involved in a marriage community group. For some of you, come on somebody, it's gonna to begin to, hey, what are we as a couple praying and believing for, right? And let's read on. It says, uh, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with God. Your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength and encouraged in every way. In other words, you're not gonna be full of strength and encouragement until you first find it in God. And some of you are feeling so discouraged in this life you're feeling like giving up. You feel like you don't have enough. And I'll tell you, it's because you have your eyes on the wrong people to fill it. 
And here it's letting us know that God is the only one who can give us the strength that we need, the encouragement we need. Let's read on in verses uh, 9 through 10. It says, for he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. And we God to Christ's fullness overflows with us. And he is the head of every kingdom and authority and life. See, I love this so much because he's letting us know that you are made complete and full from Jesus and Jesus alone. See, we think about, I want you to think about this right now because it says that Jesus makes us complete and full. And I wanna give you some homework. This is gonna be some homework for you to go home and think about. I want you to think about right now, just in your mind, don't write them down, whatever you do. If your spouse is sitting next to you, don't write it down, okay? I want you to think about three things that you would change in your spouse. Single people, I want you to think about three things that you would want the person you marry to be like. Think about three things. I'm giving you a second. Somebody's writing it down. Some poor soul back there is writing it down. (laughs) Don't do it. All right, you've got the three things. Wave at me if you've got three things. Okay. Go home and be those three things. Go home and be those three things. Because here's the thing, is when you start being those three things, they're gonna start giving you those three things right back. Don't look for them to change. I love that it says that Jesus is the complete fullness. He's the complete one. Not your spouse is supposed to be the complete one. So you be the spouse that you want to have. You be the person that you've been believing for. The Bible says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Not others' control. Self-control. Wives, your job is not to be Holy Ghost Junior. Come on. He can hear the voice of God for himself. Trust God to do his work. And just start saying, God, how can I make me the best wife I can be? And when your prayer becomes that, let me tell you, you get your hands off your husband, you get your hands off your wife, watch and see how fast God changes them. He'll change them real quick. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. If you're married here in this place, just grab the hand of your spouse. I want you to feel that hand that you're holding. And I want you to know that that is your best friend. That's the person who loves you, who believes in you, who will stand by you. Lord, I thank you for rekindling love and marriage in this place. Where they've been in toxic cycles of volatile relationships and emotional instability and times of difficulty where stress and trust was broken. Lord, I thank you that you're healing it right now in Jesus' name. I feel this so strong. Lord, right now, forgiveness flowing in every marriage. Forgiveness flows in every marriage. I break off the enemy that's been accusing And there's been a wedge there for so long. Lord, I thank you right now that they forgive each other. And Lord, I declare over them and their marriages, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, I thank you that they're gonna begin to forgive one another as you forgave them. Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you for peace in their homes. Lord, show us how to build our marriages the right way. 
show us how to love each other the right way where we've been so angry and so frustrated. God, I thank you that we're gonna start communicating clearly with one another and that, Lord, you're gonna begin to do things in such amazing way. God, we lean into you during this series. And Father, we just say, we give you our marriages. We give you our homes, all the single people. God, I thank you that you've got the right person out there for them. I declare, do not compromise on second best. God has the right person for you that's gonna come alongside and compliment you. You don't have to water down your standards because it's been a long time waiting. Lord, I thank you that your word says that if they are planted in the house of God, they will flourish in the courts of thy God. So Father, I thank you that they are gonna be flourishing in this house. And as they flourish, you're bringing them the right person that'll partner with the vision and the destiny for their lives. God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you're hearing the sound of my voice and you say, Crystal, I've never given my heart or my life to Jesus. I've made mistakes and I'm not serving him. And friend, let me just tell you, it's not about a religious checklist. It's about a relationship with him. If you're hearing the sound of my voice and you say, Crystal, I prayed that prayer before, but I've made some mistakes and I've fallen away. But today's the day I wanna give my life back to Jesus. Friend, let me tell you, there's no greater relationship to start with than that right there. If you're hearing the sound of my voice and you want to give Jesus your life for the first time, or maybe you want to rededicate your life with every head bowed, every eye closed, will you raise your hand on the count of three? I want to pray for you right where you're at. One, two, three. Raise your hand in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Can we pray this prayer together as a church family? Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Take all that I am. I hold nothing back. Jesus name. And everybody who believed it said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that. I hope that it really inspired you. And if you'll do me a favor, take a moment, share it with your friends and family, help us get the word out so that we can help others. And if you're ever in the area in Roy City or in Sulphur Springs, we'd love for you to stop by. My husband and I would love to meet you and just tell you welcome home. Hey, so with all that said, let's do something awesome for God this week.